You are about to hear a message preached at Church One on the Gold Coast. To find out more about Church One, visit us on the web at churchone.com.au. And be sure to subscribe to these podcasts so you don't miss out on any new messages as they are available. Amen. Amen. Well, I have the privilege this morning to cap off our series on kingdom relationship. I was able to preach on this a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, and so, you know, I think it's really important for us to capture what this is about. One of the things that Satan attacks is relationship. Because when you think about it, the origin of humanity originated from a relationship. God, when created mankind, he didn't create mankind randomly. It was planned. It was deliberate. But, but I love what he said. Let us make man according to our own image. Did you just get that? God in his trinity was in a perfect relationship union with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He wasn't going to do things on his own in a sense of the triune being. He said, let us Make man in our own image. And most people, when they kind of sort of think about those words, they just think that, oh, God must have eyes. He must have nose. He must have ears. He must be according to God's own image. But I believe that God is not just saying the image of man according to its physicality, but the image of man according to relationship. Listen, God didn't say, I'm going to make man, or the Father didn't say, son, watch me do this. He said, let us make man according to our own image. And what is the image of God? The true image of God is this. It's the unity of the Father, the Son, of the Holy Spirit, completely perfect in relationship. When God created Adam, it wasn't just enough that God created Adam out of his own relationship. Even though God gave Adam mission, he gave him the, 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 the right to rule and have dominion over the earth. God also gave him later on. He says, hey, it's not good for a man to be alone. And so God created Eve. God created the first horizontal relationship, the first human relationship or unilateral relationship with one another. And that's always been the the, the, the key thing about the body of Christ and the church is that for us to become united. You know, how many of you know that Jesus is a prayer that hasn't been answered yet? You know, Jesus prays. But there's one prayer that has not been answered yet. You know what it is? The last prayer that Jesus prayed before he was, he was crucified. You know what it said? Father, I pray that they be one. As you and I are one, the body of Christ is so fragmented today. Families are so fragmented today. And it is the heart of God to unite us together as a body. And I know that there's a lot of churches, a lot of styles. That's not what we're talking about. You see, God doesn't see a church over another church. He doesn't see a big church better than a smaller church or a medium-sized church. God sees his body. You see, oftentimes we bring value to the things that look successful and brings reward and brings benefit to us as something that is of God. And oftentimes we value these successes and these results over relationships. 
When we're talking about kingdom relationships, we're talking about two things essentially. We're talking about the kingdom and we're talking about relationships. Well, that doesn't take a rocket scientist to work that out, right? And what we're saying about, about this is that any relationship that we have on the earth must be seen through the filter of the process and the system of his kingdom. One of the reasons that relationships fall apart is because we use the system of the world to try to make something meaningful when God has already given us the rules, the commands in the word of God as to how we ought to relate to one another in relationship. Your gifting will get you to the door of your opportunities. They always will. People will be impressed by what you do and the results in your life. But it takes relationships for you to fulfill all that God has for you. It takes relationships. You can't do it on your own. King David was anointed as king of Israel, but it took him to have mighty men around him to build and establish the kingdom. It always takes people. It takes, first of all, God and then people. And that is why the first and greatest commandment, when you listen to it, when Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength, what is that? That is relationship. The most important commandment has to do with your relationship with God. It has nothing to do with what you've achieved or trying to achieve or your dreams or your plans. It has to do first and foremost with your relationship with him. And then Jesus says the second is as great as the first one. He said, love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. It didn't say just provide for your neighbor. It didn't say just help your neighbor. It says love your neighbor. Relationship is first in the kingdom. So when Jesus said seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, what is it talking? about there's something within that that talks about right kingdom relationships that's born out of relationship we one of the things that I've always um, helped people or tried to help people over the years or one of the challenges that many Christians have apart from relational problems is the issue of significance and what I mean by that is everybody wants to have an impact. How many of you would like to have an impact in the world? Want to make a difference, right? Nothing wrong with that. I think that's great because once you come to know Jesus, once you come to know God, there's something on the inside of you that wants to do something, right? There's something on the inside of you that wants to, uh, you know, to, to express this meaning that you've experienced. But there's a risk Oftentimes in the body of Christ that uh, Gordon MacDonald calls it uh, missionalism. Have you heard that statement before? And he says missionalism is the idea when our mission and our work becomes greater than the one who gives us our mission. When we become so focused in the results of what we're doing, we're forgetting the relationship that it requires. A lot of pastors, I believe, burn out because they lose out on a vertical relationship with God and they become so caught up in the work of the ministry. People burn out in, the, in, in, in relationship with the body of Christ because they become so focused on career and, and, and self-improvement rather than a relationship with 
Jesus Christ. I, you know what? I, I'm just going to give you a little bit of editorial. You know, as a church, we work so hard on trying to get you to have your own personal discipline with your relationship with Jesus. We've got booklets there. No one has an excuse in this church to say, I don't know how to read the Bible. We've got soap booklets in the back for you to help you if you can only handle one verse a day. This in the back there. You can, you've got a whole year of Bible reading uh, that is available for you. And I want to encourage you to have Bible reading and journaling and prayer as part of your routine. Make it part of your life, like brushing your teeth and, uh, you know, going to sleep or watching Netflix. I think that's part of the routine of some people now, isn't it? Right? You know, the amount of time we waste on binge watching. And as I look at the, the gospel there's risk for all of us to let go of true kingdom relationships for the sake of performance and results. Let me just give you this staggering scripture. The Bible says, in the last days, Jesus said, many will come to me and will say, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not? Speak in tongues. Do we not do all this? And, and the Bible said, Jesus will go to them and say, surely I say to you, I do not know you. What's that all about? Because your relationship with God is not based on your performance. Your relationship with God is not based on what, how many people you can get saved. You know, it's not based on how often you go to church. It's not based on how much money you give God. It's not based on how successful you become. It's always based on you being with Him. Jesus' heart is in John chapter 16 when it says, Abide in me and I'll abide in you. He says, for you can do nothing outside of me. And so as I look at the kingdom relationship aspect of God's original design, that kingdom seekers also seek others. You can't be a seeker of the kingdom of God and not also seek godly kingdom relationships. Unfortunately, relationship was broken at the garden. And ever since then, humanity has been struggling to get this relationship thing right. It's been tough ever since, since separated man from God. You see, God walked with Adam. God didn't just leave Adam in the garden. He walked with him every day. There was a relationship between God and Adam and Eve. But something happened. But I really do believe that what God wants to do today is this. He wants to restore the church's relationship with God. Now, I'm not saying your relationship is broken with God, but I know something about myself. I need to be careful that I don't allow what I do to continue to define my relationship with him. Paul's life, while filled with a lot of success as you read the New Testaments, and it fulfilled his mission that God's called him to do, he said this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, if you've got your Bibles with you. He says, indeed I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. 
For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ and righteousness from God that, dep- that depends on faith. It says in verse 10, that I may know him, somebody say know him, and the power of his resurrection and share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul, in essence, is saying, I have achieved so much in my life. Not only while he, be, while he was an apostle, but even before becoming an apostle, he says, my achievements are so great, but everything that I have achieved, even the things that I have achieved in God and for God are rubbish. Did you just get that? This is how Paul defines his achievements in the ministry and even his body being beaten for the sake of the gospel. He said even that means absolutely nothing because there's only one thing that matters and that one thing that matters is this, is knowing him. That is the only one thing that matters is about knowing who God is and being like him and being with him. And as you survey the life of Paul, you begin to recognize this in his life. That he's becoming less and less of him and more and more of Christ. That's the call that God's given us as his people. Further on he says, I haven't attained, obtained this already, but I'm spending my whole life the rest of what I have, forgetting what is behind me and straining towards what is ahead of me. I personally believe that the body of Christ, us, need to restore our relationship with God in his kingdom system. Not our own system. I, we all come from a different family of origin, all of us. Some of you have had good relationships with your parents. Some of you did not have good relationship with your parents. Some of you probably didn't have any parents to work to baseline any kind of, you know, moral or ethical uh, sort of values. Whatever the case of your origin is, it's always going to impact the way you relate to God. I know that from time to time, because of the dysfunction in my own family of origin and the relationship with my father, that can influence the way I relate to God, the way I see him, the way I, I, I felt like I needed to, for, for many years, perform and, and get it right. Because, you know, my dad had high hopes for me. You know, we, we have these high hopes for our kids, and we have these expectations. And, and some parents live their lives vicariously through their kids, what they haven't achieved. They want their kids to achieve because they never got there themselves. And so this pressure I felt in my own life to be something and someone and not knowing, even though I hated the pressure that my father was putting on me and the expectation, I, without realizing, I started to live according to forcing myself to live up to that appreciation. Without knowing, we start to do the same thing towards God. We work harder for the Lord to gain his acceptance. Work harder for the ministry or, or hard at work to, to gain some kind of status. 
I think that mentality has to be changed. We need to restore the kingdom order of our relationship. And as I survey the New Testament, the one story that really hits me about relationship and the kingdom is the story of the prodigal son. We all know the story. The story is about forgiveness and it's about restoration. How many of you know that restoration or forgiveness can be difficult? Put your hand up. Right? It can be difficult. You know why it's difficult? Because we actually don't, even though we know um, mentally and spiritually that we ought to forgive, we actually don't do that emotionally most of the time. Because it's our soul and our emotions that often get hurt when offense happens. And our spirit might be ready to forgive, but oftentimes our soul is not. And so we say things like, well, I'm forgiving that person by faith. Have you heard people say that? Just do it by faith. You know, just do it by faith. It's all right. And, and so we convince ourselves that we've forgiven people when we haven't. It's actually a deception. It's like false righteousness. Right? It's better for you to say, I can't forgive that person. And God deal with me until I can. So we lie to ourselves. And our lives become a series of lie after lie. Because you know what? We're, we're performing our Christianity. Because we haven't known the true forgiveness of the Father. What that means, really means, no, we might know that categorically, that God forgives us and that he is completely gracious to us and that before we get to God, he's already forgiven us. Also, we know the scripture that says, unless you forgive somebody, God cannot forgive you. We know all these over and over in our head. So this is what we do. I forgive that person. Even though we don't believe it, I forgive that person. We say that because we're afraid that we wouldn't be forgiven. So we are doing things out of fear and deception and thinking that we are living righteously when we're not. Now, forgiveness is hard at a human level. You know why? Because if I offend my wife, for example, right, and I realize that I'm saying, I'm sorry, sorry, but she might, her soul may not be ready to forgive me. And so this is what normally happens in relationships. I apologize. I do everything I can to win her back in apology, but she's not ready. And you know what happens after time? I get offended because she's not accepting my apology. I'm sure this never happens to you. This is just, right? And then after some time where her heart becomes to heal, start to heal, she comes to me, I forgive you. But by that time, I'm not ready. You've wounded my heart by rejecting my, my, my apology. How could I restore now? Now you're ready? <laughs> that never happened to you, right? Just me. You see, this is why the human system is flawed in relationships. We need to restore the kingdom order of how we relate to one another. We need to restore the kingdom order of the love of God. This is why Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 to 18, he says, I pray that you would have all the strength to know how high, how deep, how wide the love of God. You know why? Because it's going to take a lot of strength to, to, to even understand that. Because when you get to understand how wide, how big 
you become responsible for that knowledge. Like a very wise man says, with great power. Right? As I look at Luke chapter 15, verse 11 to 32, I won't read through it. Uh, I want to encourage you in your own time to, to go through it. There are two things at work here with regards to relationship with their father. I guess I could go through this and say to you, well, you know, we could look at what the son did to restore the relationship. And, and most pastors, and I've done it before, I looked at how he got restored to his dad. You know the story, right? A younger son goes to his father and says, Dad, you know, um, I'm of age now and I want my inheritance now. Give it to me so I can go into the far country and do whatever I want to do. And the father did exactly what he asked. You know, much to a heartbroken state that he had, he gave it to his son. The older son stayed back and faithfully served his dad all the way through until such a time that the younger brother lost all the possession and started to work in the farm and eating uh, food that was given to the pigs, he realized, the Bible tells us, that he came to his senses. It took that long. You know, for some people, God allows the process of time to come to their senses. And the pain of the world to bring people at their lowest point to come to the senses. Can I just say to you, please don't wait for that. Don't wait for life to be so bad before you come to your senses. Right? The grace of God is much, much better to learn from than the devil kicking you in the guts on the floor. All right? And so, so the son came to his senses and he says, I'm going to repent to my father. I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against my father. I'm going to go back. I'm going to ask him if I could be one of his servants because I'm not worthy to be his son. Just treat me like a slave and I'll be cool with that. Right? So he says this. He rehearses this. He goes back. The father sees him from a distance. The father runs to him, tackles him to the ground, embraces him, and then calls the servants and tells the servants, come on, kill the fattened calf, bring the sandals, bring the robe, bring the rings that signify that he has now been restored as a son in my house with a full inheritance. The older brother heard, hears the party. He turns up, what's going on? He says, well, you know, your, your, your brother's dead and now he's alive, he's come back and we're going to have a party. He says, I've been with you all this time. You've never given me a single party. I've been working so hard all my life. He says, all my life I've been working so hard. I'm the good guy. I'm the good guy. He's not the good guy. He took your money and he went. I love what the father said to him. I said, son, you've always been with me. If we were to look at the story and, 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 and look at how do you restore your relationship back to the kingdom of God, I think it's a flawed idea to look at what the son that came back did as a guide for restoration. Listen to me carefully. You get what I'm saying? Well, like, he, here's what I mean. He came to his senses. That's good. We should come to our senses. He repented to heaven and to his father. Yes, we should do that. Right? He came back in humility. Yes, we should do that. He returned. Yes, we should, we should do all those things. But there's a risk 
that when we follow a formula for restoration, that we can become works-driven. See, restoration was not in the Son, but it's actually in the Father. Listen to me. Because he had it all rehearsed. And the Father didn't even listen to what he was saying. Oh, come on. Hey, hear me. The Father hugged him. And, and he said, do this because restoration was already ready. The Father didn't say, I, guys, go to the store. I think we're going to need a fattened calf. No, no. He already had a fattened calf ready. Oh, come on. The rings were already ready. Are you with me? The robes was ready. The sandals was ready. Restoration is from God. And the only way we can really experience restoration is by turning to him. Not because we've worked out in our minds how to be restored to God. And so I want to I really just kind of sort of bring this to you guys and understand that, you know, this story should be the story of the two jerks. Because both sons were jerks, you know. The younger one was a demanding jerk. The older one, he was a nice jerk. But he still was. You see, God wasn't so much concerned about the obedience or disobedience of either son. God was concerned about relationship. Because if you read about the father, he said... You've always been with me. As he was saying, son, it was never what you did here that mattered to me. It was your presence. And when your younger brother turned up, his presence is here now. And that's what matters. God just wants you to turn up. You know why we gather on a Sunday? It's not so we could fill seats on, the, on a Sunday. So, you know, hey, we had a good church Sunday. No, no, no. Because this is a meeting point where we can come together and share the stories of God and declare to communities and people that are coming in here that God is real. This is out of, I go to church because of my relationship with Jesus. I give to the offering because of my relationship with Jesus. You see, what we often do as churches is that we turn the younger son that comes to our church. I'm not saying us, but maybe some other churches do this, but maybe not us. I hope it's not us. We turn a younger rebellious son into becoming a nice rebellious older son. We make them work harder and, and drive them and find their identity in what they do. See, God is not concerned about either. See, the younger son's issue was this. He saw his father as someone he could take something from. And some Christians look at God like this. They want what God could provide for them. They make demands of God. They pray to God. They want their life to be better. They want a comfortable life. They want their pain to go away. They go to God like this. And their whole life with God is based on what God can do for them. I'm not saying you can't pray to God to help you. 
And for others, they go to God because they want a better business and a better job and more money. And they go to God and, and they see God as this benevolent creature that just blesses everything they do. And it's wonderful that you experience that and they pursue that. And you can pursue success. You can pursue career. You can pursue good relationships and a good wife and a good husband. Whatever it is that you're trying to pursue in life. But that is not the prize, people. See, the, the, the two sons saw what the father could give to them, even the oldest son, because the father said, yeah, don't you know that everything I have is yours? He had to remind his son because he knew the son's heart was about getting reward for his work. How do I know that? Because I've worked all my life for this and I've got nothing from you. And he had to remind him, son, none of that matters because you were with me. That's all that matters. See, oftentimes, we think we can go and get a good career so we can help God and help the church. But you see, and I thought I could have a strong ministry so I could be a better pastor. But the truth is, the ministry is not the pursuit. Your career is not the pursuit. Come on, are you hearing me? A better life is not your pursuit. Your prize is Jesus. The real prize in kingdom relationship is what Paul says, I count all things as lost. Everything, he said, in a sense, he said, everything that I have gained on the earth is nothing more than something I have to so I can gain him. In any of your pursuits, I will ask you this question. Does it lead to the pursuit of Christ? Or does it lead to the pursuit of self? Who at the end of that? Now, I know that we can say, well, you know, it's all God. I'm going to testify about how good God is and all that stuff. And we can say that. But deep in our hearts, I will just say this. How do you know, pastor, that my pursuit is not of God when God's blessed it? I will ask you, how's your prayer life? I will ask you, how's your worship routine? I will ask you, how's your giving life? I will ask you, how's your church attendance? I will ask you, what kind of service are you doing to the community, to the needy, to those who are less advanced? more disadvantaged than you are that's making a difference. How are you expressing the love of God in such a way that is biblical and that is spiritual? When was the last time you laid hands on the sick and they recovered? When was the last time you shared the gospel for its full truth and found the joy of somebody responding to the Spirit of God? See, the pursuit is never what earth can reward you. Let me read you what Jesus said about these things. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, this is what Jesus said. Where's uh, Linfa? Would you come up, please? <coughs> Thank you. You ready? Are you ready? Jesus said, I know you've read this, you've heard this, 
But I'm going to read it to you again in the, in the context of what we're talking about this morning. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and covered up. Then his joy, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Your treasure is not the success of your career, not even the success of your marriage. It's not the success of your ministry. It's not the success of your endeavors or your education. It's not your achievements. All of those things, you know what they are? You know what they are? They're commodities to gain the greater treasure. God has put things in your hand so that a time will come when God would say to you, what are you willing to give up for the greatest treasure of the revelation of Christ that I'm taking you through? All the treasures in your hand that God has given you, you can easily say it's for Him. We only know that when the time comes that when our pursuit truly is Jesus Christ himself. Kingdom relationships will be impossible at an earthly level when your vertical relationship with God is all disjointed and twisted based on human consumerism and self. If it's based on self-improvement, self-betterment, selfish ambition, success. There's nothing wrong with success or symbols of it as well. But we must always know that Jesus is the prize. The book of Psalms says he is our portion. He is our prize. He is our very great reward. He is the reward. He is. None of this that you see is a reward. The reward is Christ. The greatest reward that we have in our faith. Amen. You have just listened to a message preached at Church One on the Gold Coast. To find out more about Church One, visit us on the web at churchone.com.au and be sure to subscribe to these podcasts so you don't miss out on any new messages as they are available.